0: everyone. How are you? Good. Good to see you. Good to see you. My name is Per Nielsen. I'm the lead pastor at Community of Hope Church in Rosemont. It is so good to be here with you today. Uh, Pastor Julia from Hosanna is actually over at Community of Hope this morning, and we're just thrilled to be engaged in the spirit of unity and the bond of peace as we bring the kingdom of God to those who are in desperate need of hearing it. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward at this time, and thank you for your remarkable generosity that goes to carry out the vision and the mission of Hosanna to multiply the hope and the heartbeat of Jesus in the South Metro community and far, far... Beyond. If you have a Bible with you today, please open to the book of John in the fifth chapter. We're continuing in a series called Miracles, and I don't know about for you, but this has been just a great series for me. It's been one of those series that has been challenging and encouraging. It's brought me comfort, and it's created deep and profound questions. Of course, the Word of God is supposed to do that, and so, so the Word of God is working in me, and I pray that the Word of God has been hoping, working in you as well. Um, We began this series by taking a look at John's Gospel in the 20th chapter, verses 30 and 31, where the writer of John sets forth the reason for all of the signs. There are seven signs in John's Gospel, seven miracles that take place, and he sets forth the reason for those miracles, and they are all to point to something. A miracle in and of itself is not there for itself. A miracle is never an, in, an end in itself. It is always there to point to something. And in John's Gospel, the writer says that all of those miracles, all of those signs, are to point to Jesus. But, but more than that, those signs are not just to point to Jesus. They're actually to draw you toward Jesus. So there's a difference between a sign and actually movement toward something. And those signs are there to move you toward Jesus. And the reason we want to move toward Jesus is because he is the Son of God, says the writer of John. And through believing, we find life in his name. Last week, Pastor Ryan gave a great message about creating an atmosphere for miracles and what, what an atmosphere for miracles could look like. And he talked about expectancy that, that we come with the belief of expectancy that God is going to work and God is going to move in our lives. And we come to him with passionate desperation as we, as we engage his larger kingdom. So the questions that he asked were simply this. Do you come to God with an expectant heart? Do you come to God with a desperate heart? When those two things come together, all of a sudden, a spiritual atmosphere gets created where, where miracles occur more regularly. Come back with me about a year, it was... One of the most desperate moments in sports history, recent sports history here in Minnesota. And in the midst of this amazing point of desperation on January 14th, 2018, a miracle occurred, didn't it? And that miracle was a catch. Keith Keenum threw a pass. Stefan Higgs caught the, Diggs caught the ball and scampered into the end zone for a touchdown. And there was celebration everywhere. You remember that time? Do you remember the level of celebration that took place? People jumping up in the air, slapping high fives with one another, rolling on the ground, sitting and cheering, etc., etc. I even saw on YouTube some videos of people crying because they were so joy-filled. I couldn't get my Norwegian head around that. But, but there they were. They were weeping out of joy for what had just taken place. Now, the reason that I share that with you today is is to bring you back to that moment, to be sure. We want to experience that excitement. I don't know if you can feel it bubbling up inside of you, but every time I see that picture or a clip, there's just something that bubbles up inside of me. But I also want to use it as a point of contrast because the truth of the matter is that Minnesota Vikings fans, if you're one, you've been doing this for years, you've been praying for a lot of miracles, haven't you? (laughs) You've been praying for a lot of miracles. In fact, the Vikings were founded in 1961. 1961. So we've been praying for miracles for some 58 years. The right play, the right time, the right field goal kick or missed field goal January seventeenth, nineteen ninety nine, Atlanta Falcons. I'm not holding it inside at all. I just—it was a point of desperation, wasn't it? A point of desperation. Um, when we think about miracles, we think about those miracles in a, in a variety of different ways. The truth of the matter is, is that whether it comes to sports or our life, we have prayed for miracles. And quite often, those miracles have not happened in the way that we had hoped them to. And so as Christians, as people of faith, we deal with this tension between a God of miracles, one who we are called to believe in, and the truth that when we pray for miracles, they don't always occur in the way that we had hoped them to. As we take a look at a a text today from John's Gospel in the fifth chapter, we're not going to see somebody who has yearned for a miracle for 58 years like many Vikings fans have. But, but we are going to see someone who has yearned for a miracle for 38 years. Now, to be sure, this yearning for a miracle for 38 years is much more substantive because it has to do with a person, a human being, a child of God who is wanting. And in the midst of our conversation I want to explore three important questions as we consider what it means to live with a God of miracles. The first is this, how does God actually respond to prayer? How does God respond to prayer? Second is this, do we participate in any way, shape, or form in miracles? In the miracles of God, do we participate in any way in the miracles of God? And third. Why don't miracles happen all the time? Why don't the ones that you've prayed for happen? Why haven't the ones that I've prayed for taken place? We're going to push into those three questions today. And as we do, as as you prepare your heart to to receive this teaching, um, I'd like to bring to you a word of testimony. And the reason I want to bring to you a word of testimony is because testimony raises faith. Testimony raises our belief. You can see that throughout all of Scripture. The vitality, the importance of testimony. In fact, you can take a look at Jesus' interaction with a woman from Samaria. She comes to to belief in Jesus. She goes back to her community and talks to that community about who Jesus is. And what the Scriptures tell us is that many believed because of her testimony. Jesus engages in the healing of a man who is possessed by a demon... And this, this man wants to go with Jesus in ministry. And Jesus says, no, I want you to go to your hometown and tell those people what the Lord has done for you. And so he does. And what we find out later is the people of that area had come to faith. We see the Apostle Paul sharing his testimony time and time again as he witnesses to the many people that he is proclaiming the gospel to. Here at Hosanna, you've heard Minnesota Team Challenge on a repeated basis and you hear the testimonies through song and story of, of the men and women who have had their lives transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. There's something about testimony that raises faith and prepares us to understand God's world and God's creation in a whole new way. So let me share one with you. This testimony came to me after I preached in the first series, on, or the first message of this series. It's a, from a woman named Jem who worships with us online at Community of Hope, and it pertains to her journey with her son, Nathan. She gave me permission to share this with whoever I could share it with so that it could edify and encourage them in the ways of God. I'm going to just read it to you as I received it. My son, Nathan, was born deaf on June 6, 1994. He had many tests done and failed them all. He was already a miracle baby as I had diabetes. He was six weeks premature and was in NICU for a month to develop his lungs. Three doctors told me to abort him because of my diabetes as the child could be malformed or die. Or I could lose my sight, my kidney function, or even die as my diabetes was not in good control when I got pregnant. Each time I said, let me get another doctor, God will decide what happens to us. At home, nothing startled him. I would put the phone next to his head and tell my friends to call me to see if he would wake up from it. I also had a very loud metal whistle and I would blow it. He just stared, never turned his head, never even squirmed. I'd been praying for God to heal him. I had him on the prayer chain at church as well. The nurse called me and said the doctor wanted me to go to St. Scholastica in Duluth to see a person who specializes in communicating with deaf babies and to start learning sign language. This was absolutely devastating to me. It was sinking in that my baby was deaf. This was a reality. I pleaded with her to please just one more test. The nurse said the doctor was pretty adamant that I needed to do this ASAP. I said, please just ask him for one more test, and then I will set up an appointment. She called me back and said the doctor agreed as long as I followed through, the test was set up for Monday. On Sunday, I went to church. I talked to Pastor Rob Dean. I told him what the situation was and asked if he would anoint my son with oil and pray over him. Just a little side note here. Uh, Jem was doing what the book of James encourages us to do with people who are sick, to anoint them and pray for them. In the name of Jesus Christ. And so she's just living out that that scriptural command. She continues. After the worship music, Pastor Dean called us up. I remember the whole church stretching out their hands forward toward the front. And just lifting up praises to God. The pastor prayed and at one point with absolute authority commanded his ears to be opened in Jesus' name. Then the praises just continued. We just kept thanking and praising God. I went home and blew the whistle. Nothing. The next day, we went to the doctor. The nurse put me in a room and took my son with her for the test. The doctor finally came in and pulled his chair right in front of me with the chart on his lap. He flipped through it, reading, and every now and then he would look up at me He looked confused and agitated. I finally said, please, if something is wrong with my son, just tell me. He closed the chart and said, your son can hear 100%. You can take him home and you do not need to come back. I blurted out that we had prayed for healing at church and that God had healed him. He said, I could believe whatever I wanted to, that there was no medical reason why he could hear. He looked annoyed as he got up and left the room. The nurse was standing by the door with my son and came over to me crying, putting my son in my arms. He was six months old and could now hear. Can we praise God for the God of miracles? Amen. As I was pondering this testimony, there were a couple of things that emerged in my heart. And and one of them was, how does God respond when we pray? Brought me back to a teaching that, that I had heard a number of years ago, and it may seem kind of simple in, in light of the situations that we face in life, but, but it applies to many of our circumstances. The teacher said that, that God always responds to prayer, and he responds in one of three ways. He responds with a yes, with a no, and with a not yet. A yes, a no, or a not Yet. And here's one of the truths that's so important for us to remember. It's been important for me to remember that whether the ultimate answer is a yes or a no, there will be a not yet. There will always be a not yet. For Jem, for Nathan, for the church, that not yet was a six-month window of time. For the man in this story, it's a 38-year window of time. Living with this not yet. And, and if you've been in that position, living in the not yet is some of the most difficult time we can experience. We're wondering, we're waiting, we're, we're asking God, is, is this actually how life is going to be? Is this the way my miracle prayer is turning out? It's a difficult, difficult time. In fact, one of the things that I've come to learn over time is that sometimes the greatest miracle that people experience is being able to keep faith or even grow in faith when a miracle doesn't happen in a way or in a timeline that they would like. Sometimes that's the case. The second thing that emerged for me was was here's a a mom and her child who experienced a miracle from God. What a gift of grace that is. What What a powerful testimony that is. And then I began to reflect on... All the children that I had prayed for. All the people in the churches that I had pastored over the years who, who were yearning for a miracle in the same way that Jem had been yearning for a miracle. Who had been praying desperately. I thought about the story of this man who's been sick for 38 years from the scriptures. And he's one man who, who gets healed where there are many, many gathered at the pool of Bethesda. And I started to ask the the question, why? And when I asked the question why, there were two things that emerged for me. One was an actual point of freedom to recognize that throughout the life of Jesus and throughout the course of history, not everybody has been healed in the same way. And that was just a bit freeing for me. But it also drove me into a deeper question as well. And that deeper question is, well, why don't miracles occur for everyone? Why doesn't that, if we have a God who wants to heal, if we have a God who, who wants to make himself known, why don't those miracles occur for everyone? That's what we're going to be exploring today. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles. We're going to take a look at the book of John in the fifth chapter, starting at verse 1. It's a powerful story of a man who has been ill for a long, long time and Jesus' interaction with this man. John 5, starting at verse 1. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was a pool of Bethesda with five covered porches or colonnades. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. Now the people were gathered there because they believed that this pool was a pool of healing. Bethesda means a place of grace or a pool of grace or a location of grace, a location of mercy. And Jewish tradition held that that when the waters in this pool got stirred up, bubbled up, started to move, the first person into the pool would be healed. Um, They've been able to do some archaeological digs. You can see some of what the pool looked like. You can see some of the colonnades that have been reconstructed over time. And, And you can just imagine what this scene looked like, where people were gathered in this place, recognizing or believing that when the waters got stirred up, the first person in would receive healing. Now, for me, as I think about this, I've, I've never been in an environment like that before. I've never been in an environment where there are people just gathered around waiting to be healed. About the closest thing that, that I've ever come to is some pictures I've seen of medical tents in third world countries or some of what I experienced on a mission trip to Kenya. People just gathered around waiting, 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 the lame, the blind. The deaf, those with internal injuries, those with external injuries, yearning to be healed. And it's out of that group that Jesus picks one. A man who had been ill for a long time. Let's come back to the scriptures. Verse 5. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years, 38 years of waiting, 38 years of prayer, 38 years of asking for help, 38 years of no response, 38 years of people needing to take him to and from because he was lame. 38 years wanting a miracle, 38 years living in a not yet time, 38 years. Now, apparently there's some conversation that has taken place because Jesus learns that this man has been ill, has been lame for a long, long time. And so Jesus comes to him and looks at him and begins to engage him. Let's continue. Verse six, when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? Now, doesn't that seem like kind of a crazy question for a person that you know has been sick for 38 years? I mean, really? Would you like to get well? It's kind of like asking the person that you know has been without water for five days, Would you like a glass of water? It's like looking at the person who has had no food for a couple of weeks. Would you like something to eat? It's like looking at a Vikings fan and saying, Would you like to win the Super Bowl? (laughs) Of course. Of course. Would you like to get well? there's something deeper going on here and we begin to grasp this something deeper by by taking a look at the end of the story because what we find at the end of the story is Jesus engaging this man again after he has been healed after the miracle has taken place and what we find is this that that Jesus sees this man in the temple after he has been healed And Jesus says, you gotta stop doing what you're doing because life is gonna get a lot tougher for you. These are actually the words that Jesus spoke. He says, now you are well. So he sees the man in the temple. The man's been healed. He sees him in the temple. And here's what he says. So stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Would you like to get well is not a surface level question. Would you like to get well is a question that goes to the very depth of who we are as people. The closest thing that I can come to in my story is a question that a mentor of mine asked me in my very early days of recovery from drug addiction. My mentor mentor looked at me and and he just simply said this. Pear, are you willing to do whatever it takes? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? I've got to tell you, in 29 years of ministry, one of the tragic things I see, in fact, some of the most tragic things that I've seen, are people who have experienced a breaking in from God in their life and have discounted it. The individual who has had major heart surgery, major lung surgery, experienced the miracle of new life, and then goes back to smoking. The couple that has had restoration in their marriage, they've worked long and hard at it. And then the husband goes back to pornography. The marriage that has struggled financially and they've worked diligently to get out of debt and they've seen God do some miraculous things as they've used to steward their financial resource as well. And then they begin picking up the credit cards all over again. The attitudes that had to be dealt with, and then all of a sudden reemerge. The individual who has met Christ, who has given their life to Christ fully and completely, and received the forgiveness of sins, but has not changed one other thing in their world, and has cheapened the grace of God dramatically. It's tragic, it's sad. King Solomon in the Proverbs actually talks about this, he talks about it with some kind of earthy but, but very straightforward language. Here's what King Solomon says in Proverbs 26, 11. He says this, as a dog returns to its vomit, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. Why are you going back to the same stuff that got you sick in the first place? Why are you going back to the same stuff that got you in this mess in the first place? See, this is one of the ways that we participate in the miraculous activity of God in our lives. When God comes in and brings about restoration, when God points a new direction, when God gives new life, we participate with God in a new way of living. Remember, the signs aren't just there to point a direction. They're actually there to move us towards someone. And so we move in the direction of Christ in our behaviors, in our attitudes. Jesus puts an exclamation point on this. I love the way he does this. Remember now, this man has been healed and he's found the man in the temple and he says, you gotta stop doing what you're doing. And then he says something to put an exclamation point on. Here's what he says. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. You've been given a gift of grace. Use it well. Remember, this all started at Bethesda, a place of mercy or a place of grace. That's the launching pad for this entire scenario, for this entire scene. And this man has just kind of disregarded it, and he's gone back to his old behaviors. And Jesus says, if you keep doing that, you're going to suffer a greater consequence. And I've watched this happen, too. Because walking through the journey of having to go back and and deal with that cancer the second time after you picked up smoking again or deal with the chaos in the house after you've gone back to drinking from a period of sobriety or deal with the marriage when there's been such hope and then pornography enters back into the system. When you deal with it the second time, the pain, the anguish, the torment is immensely more difficult, immensely more difficult. Again, this is is coming to all of us from a place of grace. And it's one of the ways that we participate in receiving the full blessing of the miracles that our Lord pours out into our life. Let's come back to, to the story. Jesus continues, Um, he has asked the man this question. The man responds, verse seven, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed, rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. And Jesus tells the man to take up his mat and walk. Healing happens in that place. And then all of a sudden, there's this conflict that emerges about healing on the Sabbath and doing work on the Sabbath. And finally, the story concludes with Jesus seeing the man in the temple. Just let me read it for you again. Verse 14. But afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now for the big question. Why this man and not others? Or, or in a broader sense, why don't miracles happen all the time? What I'd like to set before you today are, are four things in my own journey that I've had to think through, that I've had to work through as I've wrestled with this exact question. And the first of them is, is very simple. and In fact, it may seem just kind of rudimentary. And it's simply this. If miracles happened all the time, they really wouldn't be miracles. They simply wouldn't be miracles. Miracles, by their definition, are rare. They're abnormal. If miracles happened all the time, it would just be a normal part of our everyday living. And and frankly, over time, what would take place is this, is that they wouldn't point to anything. It would just be part of what happens, part of our normal life, our daily routine. So miracles by their very nature shouldn't be happening all the time. Miracles are a time when the Lord shows up in a unique and supernatural way, sometimes facilitated by the work of the Holy Spirit, sometimes facilitated through people, but miracles shouldn't happen all the time. Number two, we simply don't know why some miracles don't happen. We're, we're not God. And at some point, we have to live by faith. Now, there's a lot of conjecture that goes along with that statement. There's things like, well... Maybe if the Lord was preventing so and so from something worse down the road or maybe, maybe there's a lesson to be learned in it or maybe this or maybe that. But, but in the end of the day, we just have to say, I don't know. I don't know because I'm not God. Isaiah 55 talks about this in a real significant way. Isaiah 55 says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. At some point, following Jesus means simply having to live by faith. Number three, I think many of us have reduced our understanding of miracles to what takes place in a particular time, in a particular way, in a particular situation with a particular outcome. And part of the challenge for us is to look beyond the particular time, the particular place, particular situation, particular outcome to see miracles all the time. The truth of the matter is, is that today is a miracle. We live in a universe that is fine-tuned for life. We have a biological makeup that, that didn't just happen randomly. We have the ability to think and to see and to comprehend and to articulate and to believe and all of those things that, when you come right down to it, are absolutely miraculous. In that way, every single one of us believes in miracles. The problem is, is that we reduce our understanding of miracles to miracles that are taking place in a particular time, in a particular way, in a particular situation, with a particular outcome. And if we reduce our understanding of miracles to that box... Then miracles always become challenging. Friend, you live in a miracle. Life itself is a miracle. Number four there are two miracles, and only two miracles in Scripture, that are eternal in nature. Every other miracle is temporary. The two miracles that are eternal in nature are Jesus' resurrection from the dead and the gift of faith given to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those are the only two miracles in Scripture that are eternal in nature. Now, why is that important? It's important because so much of our emphasis gets put on the temporary as opposed to the eternal, So much of our emphasis gets put on a particular time, particular situation, particular set of circumstances, particular outcome, that we lose the eternal perspective. What we have to come back to is is this recognition that, that Jesus talks about, that we are not going to be able to see everything, but we are still called to believe. And in fact... Jesus talks about this in a really profound way in John's gospel in the 20th chapter when he has an engagement with a man by the name of Thomas. And in this engagement with this man by the name of Thomas, Jesus talks about believing and seeing and how those two worlds integrate. You probably know the story. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Thomas doesn't believe it. He says, unless I see him and touch him, I'm not gonna buy anything that anybody tells me. Jesus shows up in the middle of a room. Thomas is there. Thomas sees him and touches him. And then he confesses, my Lord, and my God. And in the midst of this conversation, Jesus looks at Thomas and addresses this question of seeing and believing that we can apply to miracles. And here's what he says. He says, Thomas, it's a blessing that you saw me and believed. It is a greater blessing for those who don't see and yet believe. At some point when it comes to miracles, we have to come back to faith. And to stand on the ground That faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's a challenging place to be at times, I know. But we believe in a God of miracles. And the greatest miracles are the ones that are eternal. As I close today, let me just bring to you a word of encouragement to continue believing boldly To believing expectantly in this God of miracles. To continue praying passionately. Praying desperately to this God of miracles. And to continue living with faith. Stepping out in faith with conviction toward this God of miracles. If we can agree on that church, would you say amen with me? Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning for the remarkable gift of grace. And as we close this time, Lord, worshiping you, we, we pray that your name would be lifted up, that your kingdom would be brought down, that your Holy Spirit would touch hearts. I pray, Lord, for anyone who is here today who has wrestled with going back to the sin that got them in the mess in the first place. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to them right now and give them a new trajectory in life. And then give them the strength, give them the wisdom, give them the encouragement to be able to take the steps of faith that they need to move forward. Lord, we love you. We thank you for being a God of miracles. We prayed in the name of Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we worship together, please?